Do you love Jesus? Right? I talked about how much Jesus loves you for like 30 minutes, and then I ended the sermon with, do you love Jesus? And some of you looked at me like I'm crazy, like I came all the way out to church for you to ask me the most basic question of the Christian faith. Um, and, and the truth was, I think it's basic, okay, I, I do think that. But some, some truth is like a plant which is simple above the surp- surface, right? It's, it's really simple, the foliage is simple. Uh, but below the surface, it has a deep, intricate rooting system. That's how some truth works. So some truth is really simple on the surface, uh, but below the surface, it is a deep, intricate rooting system. And we studied that intricate rooting system, how much Jesus loves you. He started in Genesis. He started with creation, and he's been there all throughout the Old Testament, over 250 prophecies, and he's been pointing to the prophecies and the foreshadowing, and then he's been pointing to it after it happens and while it happens and proving to you how much he loves you and how much he's willing to sacrifice for you. And so when you look at the deep, intricate rooting system below the surface, it asks some questions of your faith. That's a soccer term, by the way. I, it, it's from England, and, and they always ask. They're asking some questions of the defense. I, I never really knew what they meant, but, but and that was pretty good, by the way. Um, kind of surprised myself. Um, but the, the way that Jesus defines love through his actions, through his love, it, it kind of asks some questions of your faith. Like, am I really living and loving Jesus? Uh, do I really respond to Christ in love? Do I, am I in love with him? Do I like him? Do I spend time with him? Um, it's a deep, intricate rooting system below the surface. And so today I want to I ask another simple question. That simple question is, are you following Jesus? Is he leading? Are you following? And again, you're like, Justin, I want something new. I want something fresh. Put it in a crafty sentence, something I've never heard before. I'm convinced we don't need to take in new truth. I'm convinced we just need to really digest the old truths. We don't need a brand new truth all the time. We need to really digest and really understand, do we actually love, believe, are we living out, are we fulfilling the old truths? That's really what we need to get down to. But we're always like, no, I want something new. I'm listening to this new thing over here and this new preacher and this, and this, we're going to this new church because maybe it will ignite my intimacy with God. We don't need new truth. We need to really figure out, have we digested the old stuff? This is why we have to get a new iPhone every 20 seconds. I need the 8, the 9, the 10, the 11, the G, the Z, the Y, the K. I don't, I don't even know anymore. It's like, I, I need that. I'm like, isn't your, your current one, isn't that fine? Isn't it in good condition? But I, I, I need the 11G or else I'm going to die of boredom, right? It's why our fashion senses just go all over the map. Like, I don't even know how tight my jeans are supposed to be. I'm not positive right now. I think I got a, a general tightness and, and a couple of holes. I think I'm supposed to have holes in my jeans. I'm not really sure anymore. And I, and I feel like in a couple of years, it's gonna be like huge pants now. Like it's gonna go from huge pants to skinny pants back to huge pants, call them kangaroo pants, and they got like a pouch or something. I don't know, like I can't keep up. By the way, if you're in fashion, I know you're writing that, they're like pouch pants, that's kinda, that's kinda interesting, right? I TM that though, you can't have that one. Um, Let's go, let's go something serious. If you're in a marriage and your, your heart and mind starts to wander, it's because you think that you need something new. And you think that new is going to make you feel alive. But that new is actually just going to kill your life. And you need to go back to the old, back to who you made an everlasting covenant with and go, how do I embrace all of this, this original truth? this original covenant, this original marriage. And anybody in marriage 
who has kind of stepped on that covenant a little bit will tell you it's not, it's not gonna make you feel better. It might make you feel better for 30 seconds and then the rest of your life will be ruined because instead of going, what do I have in the old? You try to move on to something new. I think we're obsessed with the new, the shiny, the mysterious, the chase. But I think when it comes down to truth, we need to figure out how to really digest the old truths. We don't need a new crafty rhyming sentence. Uh, we need to look at the old truth and ask the old question, am I actually loving Jesus or am I actually following Jesus? And then ask it every season. Ask it every season. Am I loving Jesus currently with my three T's, my time, my talent, my treasure? Am I currently loving Jesus practically, intimately, consistently? Am I currently following Jesus? Is he the Lord over my life? Or have I kicked Carrie Underwood aside and I took the wheel and now I'm in control and I don't care what Jesus says. I'm going in this direction and I'm going to be Lord of my own life. Are you actually following Jesus? Can you ask that question consistently? And we're going to ask that question today because we also have a distance problem. It's not just the fact that we always want something new. It's, it's also that we have a distance problem. Like when there's a lot of distance and time in between the truth and now, we start to forget what that truth means to us. We start to forget the why behind that truth, right? We start to forget that this, this means something to me because I haven't really addressed it in a long time. Like, we serve at a refugee um, family night on Thursday nights. Uh, you can join us anytime you want. Uh, and my, my jobs are pretty simple, drive a family there. When I get there, help a nine to 11 year old, somewhere in that range, uh, do their homework, all right? But every time I walk in, I got this pit in my stomach because I'm thinking, I hope it's not math, right? I just, I just hope it's not because if it's a fifth grader and they, even if they don't know English, they're going to be better at that math than me and I will not be able to help, period. Now, why is that? I mean, I, I can do math. I can do you know, addition, subtraction. T Tammy's got four apples. Jimmy's got five. I mean, that's nine. I got that. But then dude starts, uh, John came in and he chopped up the apples. I'm like, why is he chopping up the apples? Just... It's a perfectly good apple. Like, is he making a pie? Like, as soon as that starts happening, I'm done, right? Because there's been 21 years, 22 years in between that truth and now. They even made a show about it. Are you smarter than the fifth grader, right? Which is, a, it's not a good premise. Because of course you're smarter than a fifth grader, right? Fifth graders, if you, if you let them, would dress up like a snowman and jump off the roof. I mean, fifth graders are not smart. You're smarter than a fifth grader. The question should be, how much time has elapsed? It's a horrible name for a show, but just follow me. How much time has elapsed between that truth and now? We have a distance problem. We don't need a new truth. We need to visit the oldest, most ancient, most solid, most pivotal truths in our relationship with God, and we need to close the distance in, in the gap of time. And we need to say, am I really following Jesus? Do I really love Jesus? Uh, so that's why we're kind of addressing these questions uh, and, and we're not uh, diving into new truths this morning. Uh, and so please, please follow me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, um, we're going to be here for the whole day. So if you get there to big 53, little number one, uh, we should, and, and it's a big book in the Old Testament. You should be able to find it if you're flipping pages. Um, uh, if not, just use your key. Everything's okay. There's no judgment here. All right, we're in a series called Appearances, where we're studying the appearances of Christ before the appearance meaning his birth of Christ. 
Um, and this is the last week where we're in the Old Testament. We'll, we'll flip to the new. We'll get all Christmassy up in this mug next week. Like you see, we're already getting a little bit Christmassy. Uh, but, but I haven't really digested Thursday, you know, Thanksgiving yet. So we're still, it's only December 2nd, all right? So, so we're going to get there. But for now, we're going to stay in the Old Testament. And we're going to study a different type of appearance of Christ, a different type of Christophany. He doesn't actually appear, but this is a prophecy about who he's going to be as what's called the suffering servant. Again, not very jingle belly in your tummy, right? The suffering servant, but, but this is who Christ was. This is who Christ aspired to be. Uh, Isaiah 53. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to answer the question, are you really following Jesus? God, we ask that you would be here today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here. We ask that you would keep me on your course whatever your course is. We ask that you would bring passion into this room. We ask that you would bring unction, hope, healing. God, I feel like you suffered for us because you wanted us to know that we, you will always suffer with us. I pray that if someone is suffering in this room today, that you would speak to them and let them know that you are suffering right alongside them. You know exactly what it feels like. We love you, Jesus. We dedicate this whole day, this whole message, all these songs, our gifts, our giving, our serving, our kids. We dedicate it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? All right, this is prophecy, so sometimes it can be confusing. Uh, us is the remnant. Uh, that, that, that believe in God, uh, the Israelite uh, remnant, and, and really they're asking who believes what we believe? And who has seen the arm, meaning the, the power of the Lord? Who has really felt the power of the Lord? And now, again, we're going to what the scholars call the suffering servant. Uh, the suffering servant is Jesus, and this section is about Jesus' goals. It's about who Jesus wants to be. It's about not only where he's going, but who he wants to be while he gets there to save us from all of our sins. So, just notice this, like, it's important to God where you're going. But it's more important to him who you are while you're going there. Do you understand that? Like what your character and priorities are on your way to that thing. See, if you're a janitor, God loves that. He, he wants to know who are you on your way to being a janitor, the best janitor that this school has ever seen. Do you love the kids? Do you love your wife? Do you love your husband? That, that's what God wants to know. Are you loving Jesus? Are you... That's what God wants to know. Who are you on the way to that goal? Whatever your goal is, and this is who Jesus is on the way to suffering for us, on the way to saving us from all of our sins. And I want to ask this morning, do you have those same character priorities as Jesus? If you don't, you're not following Jesus. Because that's the simple concept of following. You do, I do. You say, I say. All right, you, you go in this direction, I'm going to follow you. Think of it like white people songs, okay? White people love songs at weddings. And they love those songs at weddings because they're very instructive. They tell you exact, I'm, I'm, I'm a white person, so I can make fun of white people here. They tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. Otherwise, I'm lost, all right? So the cha-cha slide comes on. We gonna get monkey. White people are like, yes, hold my fanny pack. And like, let's, let's go, right? And, all, and what it says is, two hops this time, you're like, <laughs> like a song, a dance that I can do. That's, that's how I feel, at least. Slide to the left. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's it. When it gets to the knees part, like hands on your knees, we're all like, what do, we, what do we do here? I don't really know. Or the cha-cha, we're like, okay, 
what do I do with my hands? But other than that, like what people love, the instructive songs. Macarena. It's very instructive. Just put your hands in these four locations. White people are like, yes, I got that. Um, the YMCA. I can make a, I can do that. That's, that's good. Like, and, and, and especially when you're at a wedding and they, I don't even know what this is called, but they start doing the train. Oh, white people are like, I love the train. All I got to do is this and this every 30 seconds and we're, we're following people around because it's very simple. Very simple. You do this, I'll do this. You tell me to do this, I'm going to follow you. You say this, I'll say this. You clap now, I'll clap now. We, we, we love those jams because it's very easy to follow. Here, here's what I'm saying about the concept of following Jesus. I'm moving this so I don't step on it again. Here's what I'm saying about the concept of following Jesus. It's the same concept of fo as following anybody else. Is he doing this? And if he's doing that, are you doing that? If he's saying this, are you saying these things? If he's feeling these things, if these are his character priorities, are they your character priorities too? If they're not your character priorities, then you are not actually following Jesus. It's that simple. Now this is going to get, it's going to get real, uh, like, ooh, maybe, maybe I'm not following Jesus. It's going to get that way here today, I think. So I want you to know one thing before we go on. That, that's okay. Like if you notice something about yourself, that you're not following Jesus in that element of your life, that's okay. That's why Jesus died for you. That's why he is the incarnation. We'll talk about that next week. He came so that he could show you this. And he's not keeping a list of how you... He just wants you to repent and start to follow him. That's all. All right, so uh, let, let's go into how, how Jesus um, shows us how to, how to follow him, what his character and priorities are. Um, for he grew up before him like a young plant. This is how Jesus grew up. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty. This is the scripture where people think that Jesus is ugly. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was like a root out of the dry ground. You ever seen a root in the dry ground and go, you know what, I want to take that home. I'm going to dig it up nicely. I'm going to put it in some water. I'm going to name it. Me and my wife name our plants, don't judge us. Valentino's not doing good right now. It's a sore subject around the house. Okay? But have you ever taken a plant like that? Found the Ikea pot? Like, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. No, it's a root out of dry ground. It's not, it's not good looking. It's not appealing. It's not attractive is the word we'll use. And then it says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Meaning, you didn't look at Jesus and go, man, you got a nice set of teeth. Didn't happen. Those buys and those tries on Jesus, goodness. No, he didn't want this to be confusing for any of us. He didn't look at, like all the pictures somehow, Jesus is Swedish, like he's follically blessed, blue eyes, somehow he's from the Middle East, but he's Swedish. He didn't look like that. He had no form or majesty. Like that guy's pretty handsome in those pictures. Jesus had no form or majesty. I don't, I'm not saying he was ugly, but he definitely wasn't, there was, no, there was no question you were going to look at him and go, you know, I'm attracted to that. Like, we get attracted to attractive people and attractive things. That's why it's called attract, right? And Jesus did not have that. He wanted no question in our hearts and minds why we followed him. We followed him because of his grace, his love, his power, his strength, his healing, his mercy. He wanted no question behind that. Okay, so knowing that's not one of his goals and priorities... 
Is that one of your goals and priorities? It's going to get awkward here, I promise. I'm not saying you should be ugly, but, but <laughs> I'm not saying you should fight to be ugly. But what I'm saying is, is this one of your character priorities? Are you obsessed with the way you look? Does your heart go up and down with either your weight or your, your appearance or your hair or whatever, your clothes? Are you obsessed with it? Because Jesus is simply not obsessed with it. Now again, I'm not saying we should all go out and get ugly. I'm not saying we should call this ugly church. Although that would be, a, I mean, like people would show up to the church. Like, what's the ugly church about? It's a good marketing campaign, by the way. But we're not about that. We're not about that. So I'm not saying we should go out and be ugly church. I'm just asking the question, is there a healthy balance in your heart and mind? How much of your heart do you give to this? How much of your attitude, how much of your Jesusness do you give to, how do I look in this season? I think sometimes if we're honest, we would get maybe a bit, we would find ourselves with an inappropriate balance. Watch First Peter. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. He's not saying braids are wrong, although braids meant something totally different back then, but he's not saying braids are wrong. He's not saying don't have braids. He's saying spend your time, your heart capacity, your heart space on the insides, on your innards, because that's what God cares about. That's what you should care about. Is that what you care about? It's okay to, to, it's okay to care about the way you look. That's not to be presentable. I'm just saying, how much heart space are you giving to this? Is it all of your heart space? Because it's not all of God's heart space. It's not, it's not a number one priority for God. Do you spend an hour and a half getting ready, but you tell everybody, I don't got, got 20 minutes to pray and spend time in his word. You know what I mean? Like, just, just weigh your heart out. Where are you at? Do you spend $800 on clothes in a month, and then you didn't tithe at all, you didn't give Jesus any money? Again, this is an unpopular conversation, but I'm just trying to say, like, check, I don't know your heart, you know your heart, check your heart on this. Is, do you have an appropriate balance? Are you giving Jesus what you should be giving to Jesus, what you should be giving to his people, or are you just spending all this time with this as your number one priority? How do I look? Is it good? Because if you want to follow Jesus, this was not one of his main priorities. I'm not saying Jesus walked out and he didn't take care of himself. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, put it through your filter. Like, where, where, are, you, where are you at right now? He was despised and rejected by men. Here's another one. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. As you read through the Gospels, you realize that Jesus was a, a hated man from many people. He's the most polarizing person in the entire Bible. Uh, at the time, he's the most polarizing person right now. Just look around. Um, and so th there was a bunch of haters. If you're the most polarizing person, you become a hated person as well. You become a liked person too, but you become a hated person as well. And, and there was a bunch of people drinking Haterade in Jesus' time. Um, if you don't believe me, look at the evidence. They killed him. All right, that's how you know someone hates you. Uh, if they, if they, they head out and, and kill you. When Jesus healed people, like, like he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Did you know that? He heals somebody. The, the man has been paralyzed like his whole life. He, I think he's 32 in the scripture. Uh, and that's pretty much their whole life at this point. They did not have a, a long life expectancy. Uh, Jesus heals him. And they're hating on him because it's on the Sabbath. 
This man has brand new life. He can walk. And they're mad because he's healing on the Sabbath. Jesus was hated. They hated on Jesus. He spoke truth. They gnashed their teeth at him. He told, he told everybody he was the son of God. They crucified him. Jesus was a hated man. Jesus was a man of sorrows. And I love the language. He was acquainted with grief. Grief was very familiar to him. I mean, he, he knew what it felt like. He, he knew what, what it meant to be grieving constantly. He knew what sorrow felt like. Check it. As one from whom men hide their faces. If you go back one scripture. As one from whom men hide their faces. Like that person that you see in Starbucks that you don't want to see. So you're doing one of these numbers. You know what I mean? And then you're like, did they see me? Oh, they do see me. This is awkward. Hey, Jesus. It's one of those moments. Like they're just hiding their face from Jesus. This is not a man that everybody liked. This is not a man that everybody loved. And let me tell you this. Jesus was okay with that. He was okay with not everybody liking him. He was okay with not everybody being obsessed with him. It was not one of his priorities. He wasn't obsessed with their opinions. He wasn't obsessed with pleasing people, having everybody like him. So there's the next question. Is that one of your obsessions? Because Jesus was not obsessed with that. Is that one of your obsessions? This is one I've struggled with from time to time for sure. Like, I need people to like me. I need people to feel good about me. Or else I, I don't feel good. And, and, and it makes me waver up and down who I am and how I feel about myself. Is that you? I'm not saying, again, run this through your, mature, your Christian maturity filter like, I'm not saying you should be hated by everybody. I'm not giving you license to be a Christian jerk in Walmart and just slap people with the Bible. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. What, what I'm saying is, is this one of your obsessions? Because it's not one of Jesus's. Jesus was okay with people not liking him. Jesus was okay with people not loving him. We live in a totally different context, so you can't apply it the same way, but you have to apply it through your filter. Not everyone will love you. Not everybody will like that you invite them to church. Not everybody will like that you quote the Bible, that you live by what the scriptures say. Not everybody's, if you're in the right relationships, not everybody's going to look at you and go, man, I, I really like, want to be around that person and I want to go to church with them. Some of them will go the other way. And that's okay. In general, even if you're not being Jesus-like, okay, even if you're not walking in all holy style, not everybody's going to like you. Did you know that? Um, I, I've, I've found uh, as a pastor... And being me, not everybody likes me. Big surprise, I know. Don't laugh too hard, okay? Not everybody likes me. Uh, and, and when you're a pastor, people just don't come back to your church most of the time. I don't like him, I'm going to a different church. There's other reasons people don't come to church, but there's, sometimes it's, I don't like him, I'm not coming to that church. Sometimes they tell everybody they don't like you. And sometimes that word comes right back to you. Oh, they were saying this about you. What would you say? Well, I kind of agreed with them. Oh, thank you for that. Sometimes people just don't like you. One, because I speak truth from the stage. That doesn't always sit well. doesn't always land on a soft pillow. And two, because my personality lends to me just not being liked by everybody. It's just the truth. I, I hear lots of giggles over here. <laughs> people <are> like, <laughs> yes. I just, I just I, you understand? Like, it's just, it's just part of being me that not everybody's going to like me. And sometimes they even put it on Social media. And the first couple years of being a pastor, man, I was up and down with that. Like if something happened, I got a text message, it was online, or someone told me this person was talking about you, I'd be reeling. Up and down like a tornado was my mind. 
Where do I go with this, Jesus? About four years in, I decided I'm going to get perspective because I'm not okay with going up and down with people's opinions all the time. I'm gonna get perspective. I don't wanna go up, when, when, you, when you praise me, I don't wanna go up with that either. I just wanna be who Jesus wants me to be. So I, God, teach me how to not go up and down with people's opinions. One of the first things that God taught me was just to, sometimes you gotta preach to yourself. Sometimes you don't need me to preach to you. You don't, you don't need somebody online. You just need to sit into a room, get a pulpit out, preach to yourself. I needed to preach to myself. Here's what I said to myself. Not everybody's going to like you, and that is okay. Sometimes you're going to leave people's life, they're going to leave your life, and they're not going to have a good impression of you. They're going to walk out with a bad impression of you, and that is fine. It's okay. Do you, do you understand how freeing that is? It's going to be okay. As a matter of fact, probably 20 people a year aren't going to like you. So just accept, accept the statistics. It's going to be fine. You're going to have the right circle around you, especially now. Everyone's offended over everything. Come on, church. Everybody's offended. I walk outside. Someone's offended for it. Like, it's just going to be fine. You're going to offend somebody, even if you're the sweetest, most gentle, most amazing person. You are somehow going to offend somebody. And guess what? That's okay. Here's the real conversation. Are you following Jesus? Right? Meaning, how'd you handle that when someone didn't like you? How'd you handle it? Do they not like you for a good reason? <laughs> Is there something you need to repent of? Were you a jerk? That's the question I need to ask myself. Maybe you don't need to ask that, but I need to, was I a jerk in that moment? Do they have reason for not liking me? Is there something I need to repent of? Another, another question is, are they walking out of your life not because of you, but because of Jesus? See, sometimes people are not walking away from you, they're walking away from Jesus. That's good. It's not good that they're walking away from Jesus, but what's good is that you were like Jesus. That's the question you need to ask yourself. Am I actually following Jesus? And the rest you can't really control. You can't make everybody like you. Uh, you can't make sure nobody, nobody is a critic of you, right? Here's the next one. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's borne our griefs, which means he's carrying our griefs and he's carrying our sorrows. Jesus grieved. Did you know that? Jesus, it was not one of his goals to, to walk away from grief, to grab a half pint of ice cream and watch some Netflix and make sure he didn't have to think about the problems that were going on in his life. So not only did he take other people's grief upon him, but he actually grieved it out. And he did not grieve it out on social media. Social media is the worst place to grieve. Because no one is going to love you well on social media. Grief, or Facebook is not a good grief counselor. Jesus went and grieved to the Father. Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, grieved to the Father. So not only is God saying, I want you to grieve, I want you to grieve, but he's also saying, I want you to grieve to the Father. Like, I want you to take it to the Father and go, I don't understand what's going on right now. God, help me. I don't understand why you let this happen to me. I don't understand why you let this happen to this other person. I don't know why I feel this way, God. You ever just scream at the windshield and cry at the windshield with God or in the mirror with God? Not usually in the mirror. That's weird. But in, in, you're, you're grieving with God alone. And then once you're done, once you've cried it out, you realize, I have a tremendous amount of joy right now. That's because grief is like a sneeze. Like the longer you hold it in, the more turmoil it creates. You gotta sneeze it out. You gotta grieve it out. Jesus was a griever. He grieved all the time. And he wants you to grieve. 
He wants you to take others' griefs upon you. He wants you to listen, sit with people, love people, cry with people, and then he wants you to grieve it out. That's how you be like Jesus. I feel like we have all sorts of ways to numb our pain. And every single one of those numbing agents don't do anything for our soul. We had a professor at Nyack College call it the beach ball syndrome. You can keep pushing that beach ball down and it'll go down below the surface. But you know for sure it's gonna whoop, come up somewhere else. It's gonna show up, you gotta grieve. In a healthy way, find, find your healthy outlets. One more as we learn to follow Jesus. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Okay, this means that we, because he was afflicted, we thought that God hated him, but God was really loving him. This was his plan all along, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Let's skip down. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He took this pain. He took this embarrassment. He took this shame. He knew what God wanted him to do and he did it even though he knew the outcome. He did it even though the outcome was not going to be in his favor. Meaning he took the calling even though he was unsure of what was going to happen next. Even though he didn't know how much pain was going to come with it. He was a fool to some people, right? That's what the scriptures say. It was foolishness. Foolishness. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this story, but we're hating on somebody right now. Um, Christians are hating on this missionary um, who just got, he just got killed. On November 17th, John Allen Cho was killed by the tribesmen of the remote uh, Sentinel Island. One of the most, probably the most unreached people group out there. So he dies by bringing the gospel to these people. M- meaning he, he decided, God is telling me to go do this. I don't care about the outcome. I'm going to go do it. See, see, we are tenacious about protecting our reputation, but that was not one of Jesus' plans. It's not one of his goals. It was not one of his characteristics to protect his reputation, to have everybody feel good about who he was. He was going to go regardless of, uh, of the fact that he was walking right into persecution. He was going to do it. And, and I believe this man, John Allen Cho, was willing to walk right in. Walk right in. Now, we, what we're hating on is the fact that he went to a, a remote tribe, so Christians are like, I don't know, he could have he made them diseased, right? He could have brought a disease with him because these people don't experience some of the same germs that he experiences. He wasn't smart. Uh, they were probably going to kill him, so he shouldn't have went anyway, right? So, and, and some people, especially atheists, are, are celebrating the fact that one of the G- crazy Jesus people are, are taken off the planet. What I'm concerned about is Christians. Christians are damaging this guy's reputation. But see, I don't think he went there for his reputation. I think he was a fool on purpose. Now, some of the things that people left out of the story is that this man actually had been planning for years. He went to a strong linguistic school, a a famous linguistic school, to get his training. Um, He also uh, studied uh, as an EMT and in sports medicine because he wanted to bring them good things. Um, He also, before he left, he got a ton of shots and then quarantined himself. This man was planning for years with an organization to bring the gospel to one of the most remote tribes in the world. And we're hating on him. Because he was a fool. God, would you make me a fool? Would you somehow make me a fool? 
where I'd be willing to, even though I know what's going to happen to me or might happen to me, I'd be willing to take your gospel to the ends of the earth. If your concern is always your, your reputation, your status, and, and therefore you're not bold for Jesus, you're not loving, following Jesus, I think it's time to check. Like, what is more important to me? Am I willing to be a fool for Jesus? Now, I don't know if all this guy's methods were correct. I'm not, I don't want to get into the discussion of that. I'm not going to go on someone's feed and start to argue with them over and over. It doesn't really matter. For me, the man thought he knew what Jesus was telling him to do, and he went and did it, regardless of how his reputation was going to turn out. Man, I want to be a fool for Jesus just like that. Let me pray for us as we learn, uh, worship team come up here, as we learn how to follow Jesus and we learn how to give ourselves to him, not super concerned about what we look like all the time, not super concerned about what people think of us, not super concerned about our reputation. It's okay to have concern about those things, but let's, let's through prayer, pass it through our filter right now. Where, where are you at? Close your eyes with me. God, God where are we at? Would you, would you just speak to people right now? Holy Spirit, would you speak to everybody in this room? Would you convict where there needs to be conviction? Would you celebrate where there needs to be celebration? Would you make us bold followers of you who have the same characters, the character, same characteristics, same priorities as you did? I trust God that you're moving through the room right now. And as we sing a song about following you, I trust that you'll celebrate in our heart that there's, there's repentance and there's joy in our new direction. We love you, Jesus. We don't want to just, in a lip service way, say we follow you. We want to actually follow you. We want you to be Lord over our lives, for you to take the wheel, for you to steer, and for us to follow you. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.